Welcome to Locked On Golden Knights. BGK lack and creativity this past season. We'll get into the, all of that, plus much, much more coming your way right after this. For Locked On Golden Knights, your daily podcast on the Vegas Golden Knights, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi again, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Golden Knights. Tony Cardasco and Chris Golick here. I am at Tony Dasco on Twitter. He is at TD Chris G on Twitter. And of course, you could find us on Twitter at Locked On VGK and all our very new YouTube channel. So, Chris, <laughs> so when the players spoke out, right, they felt that the team lacked creativity this past season. And I, of course, still believe that a lot of their comments led to the firing of Pete DeBoer. Uh, what do they mean by a lack of creativity? Let's get into that. Was it the creativity within Pete DeBoer's structure? We saw tentativeness by VGK at times do with the puck when they received it. Was it a lack of creativity on shootouts? Okay. A lack of creativity on the power play. We're going to get into all of this. It took a lot, perhaps, to have some creativity Creativity within the structure, I have to believe, number one, you were stuck in a very stale system, and that's my opinion. And where did you feel they lacked in creativity? Creativity comes from a lot of places. Uh, me and actually Christopher, my son, we had a conversation about being creative uh, when you start playing hockey, and he kind of asked me what that meant. So it took me back a little bit. And, you know, I'll get to your questions and stuff, but some of the things I think of when I think of creativity, I think of the just craziest of the crazy, right? So let's start with uh, the Michigan play that that kid pulled off where you flip the puck onto the blade of your stick from being flat on the ice, turn it around, and you do what's now known as the lacrosse goal. That's creative to me. Uh, Trevor Zegras just this year chips a puck over the back of the net to his forward who hits it out of midair and scores a goal. So where does that type of creativity come from? And I think the answer to that question is in practice. I think <clears throat> whether it's before, during, or after practice, players just kind of have these things in the back of their mind that they want to try one day. And I think the shootout drills is a great place to start stuff like that. And most practices, not all, but a lot of practices usually end with some one-on-ones with the goalie. And there's usually some fun stuff. I can't tell you how many times I've seen on random Twitter handles, not just Vegas, but other teams and such, where someone comes in, they do this just weird shootout play, and they just make the goalie look silly, and he falls on his butt. And then, you know, think about a video came out this past year with uh, Patrick Kane and Marc-Andre Fleury before he got traded. Kane comes in, he does what he does, he goes full speed, he stops and, you know, deeks the puck about 12 times before he just finds a, a huge gaping hole in the nets. Flurry gets mad, he throws a stick at him. So that's the type of stuff right there that I think is what leads to creativity. Now, to kind of go into a little more in depth what you said, where do they lack in creativity? You answered all the questions, Tony. <laughs> Power plays. Um, zone entries and everything else in between. 
It just kind of seemed like, let's get the puck in there, make a pass or two, and get a shot on nets. And we'll get our uh, 1.8 deflections a game. And uh, however, maybe that was the screen uh, percentage that you uh, said yesterday or something like that. Maybe we'll get some good luck. Um, creativity is an extra pass. Creativity is maybe a play where one of the forwards sets a pick on one of the defenders that's legal and not seen by the refs. Creativity is just a real nice cycle. And then they find someone who's just wide open and they make a pass across the ice. I think about teams like Tampa, Colorado, and Edmonton. And those are very highly skilled teams, of course. And so is VGK. VGK has the horses to contend with those types of teams. But I think the creativity just lacked whether it was not doing those things in practice, whether Pete DeBoer was not challenging the players to be more creative. I mean, that, that's what a good leader does. They find ways to extract more skill than you have or help you become a better player. And Max Pacioretty was very supportive of DeBoer uh, during his exit interview with the media, saying he's made him a better player and such. You didn't hear that from a lot of other players. So I don't know how much DeBoer was just kind of taking the reins off and trying to just let the boys have some fun in practice, which takes the edge off and makes them play a little more relaxed brand of hockey. And that's where I hope our next uh, coach can not just be a good hockey person, not just be a good hockey mind, but they have that additional gear that you really just don't hear about where the players want to try and do different things. Creativity to me, uh, I think would mean no restrictions, right? And taking some risks. And they didn't do a lot of risk taking this past season. Shoot below or above the circles. Um, how many drop passes? I was going back. How many <laughs> drop passes, which is the norm in the National Hockey League, did you see the Golden make this past season? It's not. It wasn't even in their arsenal, which is crazy. And, you know, how do you break out, you know, uh, when you have line rushes? There's got to be some creativity to the line rush for the Golden Knights, which we didn't see very much of. It's just either straight out the net or they're cut off and then it just fizzles. And I, I just seem to think, especially in the Ozone, they take more risks with the next coach. And I was going back to, right, Chris, and the only game that I thought that they really executed a good plan was against, and it wasn't the realm of creativity, but the game against the LA Kings, they had it scouted just perfect, right? One of the games here this season where they were going low to high because that was a major weakness with the LA Kings, and they were able to I don't know if they exploited a lot of the deficiencies, but a lot of the opponents this past season. Yeah, that was, I think they beat them like 5-1. to one. That was a home, I think it was like a Saturday matinee game, I remember. And that was just a game where everything is on cruise control. It's all kind of happening. And, and the game came to the players. Like, you didn't really feel the players pushing too hard. Um, a goal I remember about that game, a power play goal, I believe it involved Eichel and March or so. Just, um, it was the power play breakout drill where someone skates the puck up, drops it at the red line, and then... Yeah, no, it was um, it was Mar Marchi and um, and Eichel. I remember at the blue line, execute just a perfect entry, and next thing you know, just a, a pass across the slot and a one timer. It was really a nothing entry that led to a goal. And one of the biggest things I noticed, and I think I've mentioned this before, is speed 
in the neutral zone is, in my opinion, the most important part of the game to generate offense. If you have speed coming across the blue line, uh, chances are you're going faster than the defenders. You find a way to make a couple of passes and you're going to get a quality scoring chance. Um, our biggest risk, risk taker, I was thinking about that just in my mind as you were talking about it. I think Shea Theodore, um, he definitely takes a lot of risks. Um, he's very aggressive in, you know, making moves from the blue line and such and trying to make that, trying to make that uh, additional play. He'll try and beat someone one-on-one. We don't have a lot of players who are willing to take that risk. Um, okay, here's a good risk. Here's a, here's a great risk, and you're going to love this one. William Carlson having the stones, no pun intended, Mark Stone, but William Carlson having the stones in a game to clinch the Pacific Division to shoot from between his legs on a breakaway. If that play fails, you look absolutely silly. But he had the confidence, and he executed a goal that brought me right out of my seats, and I don't do that a whole lot, but that goal just, I was going absolutely crazy. Um, and I think, I don't know if there's fear in DeBoer's system of being of being creative. Maybe DeBoer just likes an old school way. Let's chip the puck deep. Let's get some shots. And eventually they're going to go in. And that's something I felt would happen a lot. And it just didn't. So we need a coach that is willing to extract more creativity out of the players Give them a long leash. Let them fail because it's going to happen. I mean, Connor McDavid last night, I know we're going to talk more about the playoffs in a little bit, but Connor McDavid just made someone look absolutely silly last night. Did uh, did Daryl Sutter bench bench the defender for doing that? Absolutely not. It's Connor McDavid. It happens. And he's creative. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, Carlson tried that again this year between the legs, and it was an utter failure. So you didn't mention that. We like balance and fairness on this show and then you know with the uh, the shootouts and to me again uh lacking creativity i call three turns you know in those last uh, few games right in the last three shouts and what does eichel do he goes wide he doesn't really attack nothing you know out of eichel who you would expect especially with his longer stick that he has you would expect him to do something in practice, do they practice shootouts, okay? Because fans have always asked about this. Are they practicing shootouts? Are they being creative in practicing their attempts during shootouts? Or are they just going straight for the net? Which I thought was, again, you, I mean, it's just unbelievable that you can have an offer in your last three shootout attempts. Yeah, Tony, and, you know, I think they definitely – I think they definitely do practice the shootouts. Um, you know, you see the fans lining the glass. You see the videos that come out. Um, and in practice, that's just what it is. It's practice. You're going to be goofy with the shootout. Your goal is to go in there and make the goalie look bad. Um, but is there all of a sudden a fear when the lights come on in the most important of moments uh, when you need a goal to save the season multiple times? So you're your fear is going in there and looking silly and, you know, trying to dangle the puck off your, off your skate or something like that. And you don't even get a scoring attempt. Is there that fear or, you know, I think that's what it is, Tony. I think they are just scared to look bad in the shootout when they are the only person who has the puck it's fail or succeed. And I think they would rather get a shot off that has a lower percentage to go in, but at least they still got their shot attempt off. 
versus making that extra move with the puck versus that extra dangle, you know, the 360, which is now legal again to a degree, just something to get the goalie out of their elements. I mean, look at Nikita Kucherov. There, that's as, per, as creative as it gets right there. He finds ways to score on the goalie without even taking a shot. He skates the puck in. He did it to Robin Leonard once. He did it to Holtby a few times. I mean, that is the most creative thing I've ever seen in at least modern hockey, in my opinion. Someone who multiple times can skate down on a breakaway. They never touch the puck. They, they make the goalie move, and he doesn't touch the puck, and it goes five-hole. That's the type of creativity that our new VGK coach has to unlock amongst a very talented roster. And I'm sure that Chris wants to talk about his favorite NHL goalie, Mike Smith, when we return. He only gave up eight goals last night. Great performance. You are watching and listening to Locked On Golden Knights. Imagine dipping your finger into that plastic tub of birthday cake frosting and then opening your eyes and realizing that it was only 150 calories, 16 grams of protein. And that is what it's like to eat a birthday cake puff from Built. Now, myself and Chris, we just received our birthday cake puffs, and myself and Chris have never had anything quite like it. And they're available right now, and we can't promise that they will be there tomorrow because they are so popular. You need to get them today at Built.com. And if you haven't tried the puffs, let, let us let you in on a little secret, our friends, because uh, that's exactly what they are. They sound like they're puffs, and they are puffs because they're chocolate-covered marshmallows, it's a protein bar. Yeah, you heard me. Delicious flavored marshmallow. And it's covered in 100% real chocolate and some jimmies, right? Or whatever you call those things. Is that what you still call them? I Make every day your birthday with Built's Birthday Cake Puffs. <laughs> Built has taken that delicious experience of biting into a fresh slice of birthday cake. And it's enrobed in 100% white chocolate and added sprinkles. Okay, they're called sprinkles, Cardasco. All Built Puffs are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means that Built, you can eat healthy and you can actually enjoy doing so. And all, I don't have a, you know, one of my birthday cake puffs today because they're all gone here in the Cardasco household. Go to Built.com <laughs> to get your birthday cake puffs right now. Go to Built.com and use that promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at Built.com. Welcome back to Lockdown Golden Knights. Tony Cardasco, Chris Golick, his entire family is here. And thank you for giving me some heartaches and headaches <laughs> with the Canes jersey. Did you have to go there? All right. I guess we'll jump into that first. <laughs> My goodness. The Rangers played really well for the first two periods. And they had uh, perhaps the biggest missed opportunity of the game last night. Capococco missing a wide open net. The Canes, they hit a couple of pipes in that game, right? Over Shesterkin. And then finally, Sebastian Ahu breaks through. He ties the game up at one with a couple of minutes to go. And then Ian Cole, the overtime winner. Okay, so the biggest takeaway for me in that game, the fact that the Rangers could not win a faceoff. Mika Zibanejad won just 6 of 17. And I'm talking about... He might have went 0 for his last 11 because he was really bad. And those were crucial face-offs, and then they could never clear the zone after that. That's a Gallant trait, though. Uh, Gallant did not work a lot on 
face-offs in his time with the Golden Knights. Um, I don't believe it is a high priority for Gerard Gallant. And I think there's other just statistics he looks at that makes him think that face-off wins, face-off percentage is not of a high level of importance. I really think that's all it boils down to. But again, an amazing game. Um, it's unfortunate that your Rangers uh, did lose. Um, Hurricanes, they kept in the game. And that's just that's what happens in overtime. That was an absolute... That was an absolute nothing goal right there. An absolute nothing goal right there. Cole just is kind of skating out and just throws the puck to the nets. Just throw the puck to the net. Good things happened. And uh, the Rangers defenseman committed uh, the cardinal sin in front of his goalie. You let that puck go through when you're that close. Um, he did a combination of screening the goalie and tipping the puck, which is the worst possible thing he could have done. I know it's human nature there, and I'm not, you know, scowling the guy or anything like that. So, um, it happens. It's a big moment, but it was uh, it was unfortunate. But, uh, Allie, your Rangers won. Or, Allie, your, I'm sorry, your Hurricanes won and Chris's Rangers lost. Chris is a good dude. Oh, 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 look at that. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. A little uh -oh. conference. Oh, oh wow. Oh, oh, He's ready that, to that drop might, the gloves again. That was, that, that was going to be a 5K fine right there, it looked like. Geez, that was almost a headbutt. <laughs> All right, who's going to win game two, Rangers and Hurricanes? Oh, my God! I think that's it. Allie says she'll take the upsets. <laughs> that third period was a disaster for the Rangers. I mean, it was it was. the ozone time for the Canes, and you Every single win now, every game, I think, every repetition for the Rangers is a move forward because it's like gravy right now for the Rangers. It's it's just, again, something that's going to help them to build for the future. I still say that they're a year away, and I think that they were a year ahead of the plan by uh, making it into the second round. I really do. Um, and they've had some some really good surprises, including the kid line and, of course, just Durkin. Yes. but. Uh, so, and then uh, I want to talk about uh, the other game, the high-scoring game. Did I have anything else to say with the Canes? No? No, we're good. They're good, Mill. We'll, we'll see you. Thanks, Thanks we'll for adding to my nightmare. Next week, and once the series has gone three or four games. <laughs> Rangers! Let's go, Rangers! He needs a Rangers jersey, that guy. He had, uh, no, we have one. We were looking for it. It's, a, it's only a 3T, though. He hasn't worn it in a while, but... Uh, when when the Rangers are in town, he wears his Rangers jersey. When the oh, Hurricanes nice. are in Jersey, uh, Allie wears her her Hurricanes jersey, and that's that's oh, sweet. That that's what the game is about, though. That's getting the kids involved and not just liking the goal of the home team. You know, expanding the league and stuff like that. So that's it's a good thing. And then uh, so the Flames, a nine six <laughs> final over the Oilers in the Western Conference. That entire game was a shootout. And those TV angles are awful. I don't know if you've noticed, like, watching the it's game. That, it's, it's that stadium. It's, stadium. it's just awful. Like, you can't really get into the game. It looks like you're far away. And it's like AHL or less quality. Maybe ECHL quality. Oh, uh, the, the highlight was that one goalie save in the game, I think. And it, Matthew Kachuk, you know, has the hat trick last night. And in March, I saw, I remember that uh, – Kachuk had the two-goal, two-assist game when they played each other, and the battle for Alberta was wide open. Uh, the Flames scoring on their first two shots. 
And I first want you to talk about your favorite goaltender <laughs> in the National Hockey League. And then I want to ask you more or less a technical, like, refing question or rules question. Oh, okay. Like I say, like a technical, like, skating question or something like that. I was about to leave. Um, no, so, I mean, Mike Smith, yeah. I mean, the first two, definitely the first goal was, was not a, uh, it's one he would like to have back, as uh, many people would say. The second and third goal, just, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, that's not entirely on him. You'd like him to maybe get one of those. Uh, the change was needed. Um, Mike Smith definitely uh, was a bit overvalued, I think, after that first round of the playoffs. And all of a sudden, the Oilers now are, you know, back to wondering how he's going to do. The backup did absolutely nothing. So it'll be Mike Smith's net for game number two on Friday, no doubt about that. But, you know, does he have the yips right now? Does he got the jitters? Is he going to, you know, be able to get past those first couple shots? I, I always joke, going back to my uh, my beer league roughing, uh, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he always walks in, like, right at game time. He never gets any any uh, warm-up, never even gets a stretch or anything like that. A uh, guy walks in literally as I'm getting ready to close the door to start the game. And I we always joke with the players if he saves the first three shots, he's impossible to get one past. They might score a couple more throughout the game. But those first few warm-up shots, if he doesn't get them, then watch out. And that's kind of, I think, where Mike Smith is right now. Um, if he can't get you know three or four saves early and quick, um, I think uh, he's going to have a hard time the rest of the series. The Flames are absolutely going to uh, unleash the fury, so to speak, right now. And they have the Oilers on their heels. And, and Daryl Sutter, how about a, what a quote by him. Uh, someone made a comment that there wasn't a lot of goals scored in the last series. So he comes out and says, yeah, the NHL told us, uh, you know, you guys need to score more goals. So I told the players to go out and score between seven and ten goals. You know, so Daryl Sutter is just so much fun. Uh, uh, Brady Kachuk in attendance as well, just in the stands wearing a flame shirt. There was an awesome picture of him just smiling as his brother got the hat trick. I mean, that's... You know that's that's fun. That's that. Those are that's why at least I watch the game to see a, you know, stuff like that. And then Matthew Kachuk uh, asking Evander Kane if he needed some money oh, for his that bankruptcy. Was awesome. God, that, that was, was pretty good. And a lot of chirping going chirp. on in the uh, <laughs> in the penalty boxes. And I had a question about Kachuk. So Kachuk was in the penalty box, right, with okay. Uh, Killington. Okay? okay, they were together, and so. Why did Kachuk come out of the penalty box first and then he just raced down the ice and scored that goal? I think it was the go-ahead goal or the eighth goal, whatever. But why did he race? Why did they allow him to come out of the penalty box first? Was it because that when there's two players in the box, you can go with whatever player you'd like to come out of the penalty no, box? No, so there's a couple... There's a couple scenarios. I'm, I got the game report here. I'm just trying to find the penalties right now and see exactly uh, what happened. So Kachuk got a delay, a delay game penalty at 10:45. Uh, he got a roughing against Evander Kane. Okay, so looks like there was a big scrum around uh, 4:44 into the third period. So early on, you got a holding against McDavid. Kane gets a rough. Kachuk gets a rough. Um. So you said Killington. Killington was in the box with him? Yeah, Killington was in the box with him, yeah. Okay, so yeah, so, okay, so both these penalties the occurred at 444. Okay. So there's three total penalties, Killington at 444, Kane at 444, and then Ruffing um, at 444. 
So in a spot like that, it's going to be the way I believe the referee reports the penalties. So it looks like you had, yeah, here's exactly what happened. Killington and Kane uh, went off. No, Kachuk and Kane were the coincidental, and Killington was holding first. Yeah, but so I think you, you can, can't you a, select can't you select who you would like no, to leave the box first? No, no, that, that there, there's no there's no choice like that. What okay. I'm wondering, Tony, is um, do you recall if it created was it a, a five on four situation? It had to be a five on four. It could have been a four on three because everybody would have come out of the box. Right. So what yeah, I don't understand, it looked like Kane and Kachuk got the coincidentals. Correct. And then Killington happened during the same thing. So you could go a couple different ways with that. The Killington penalty might have happened after, which wouldn't make a lot of sense because those were roughing penalties, I believe. You know, no, no. So, so Killington had the penalty first. Killington was and holding. Then, and then we saw, you know, Kachuk come in and try to get Kane riled up, which he did. And then they had the coincidentals. So, right. And Kachuk, you said, scored a goal like right after that, right? He came out of the penalty box and raced down and scored the goal. But I think the biggest question that fans might have today is how come he left the box first before Killington? But yeah, so the way I'm it was a big, this, it was a big uh, part no, of the I, game. No, uh, and I'm having a hard time figuring out. So, I mean, goal. it looks like when. Yeah, so it looks like Kane and Kachuk got the coincidentals mm-hmm. for whatever they were doing, they were, they were roughing against each a other. A little skirmish, yeah. So I don't understand why Killington, based off the game report, why Killington would not have come out of the box, because I'm assuming, again, assuming, the Killington penalty happened first against it did. McDavid. And it did. Okay, and then you had Kane and Kachuk do what they did. So I don't understand. My opinion is those penalties wash. So... Those penalties don't even go on. So if you're at the game, Tony, those two penalties would not even go on the scoreboard. You wouldn't see those. They would be considered coincidental minors. So if the penalties occurred at 444, Kane and Kachuk should have not been able to come out until 644 remaining and the next whistle. So if Kachuk came out of the box first... Based on the way I'm looking at the at the game report, there could be more to it, obviously. But based on the way I'm looking at it, Kane and Kachuk should have sat, and Killington should have been the first one out of the box. Basically, first in, first out is another easy way to look at it, depending on... There's more to it, but first in, first out is one of the ways to decipher who should come out first. And since they're coincidentals, they only can come out after two minutes plus the whistle. So if it's happening the way you're you're saying it exactly... Then I think uh, the score box missed something. Yeah, and then what had happened was McDavid was racing into the offensive zone on the rush, and then uh, Killington just drags him down because what else can you do? And then that's when uh, they had the little fracas there. Uh, but I think it's something definitely that uh, is interesting, right, about how McDavid was sprung from the box first. But tonight we've got Tampa at Florida, and then we have Colorado and St. Louis tangling once again. And the Blues have to feel pretty good about that opener in the series, losing an OT. Uh, Florida, I think, will not up that series at one apiece tonight because for them, the key is going to be to stay out of the penalty box. Yeah, and I was just kind of curious what the lines were right now. I was pulling those up. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, Florida, they, they got a nice little uh, nice little dose of reality, a nice little reminder that they are playing the back-to-back -back Stanley Cup champions in a series where the back-to-back -back Stanley Cup champions are the underdog right now. And I think that doesn't necessarily sit very well with Tampa. Um, I mean, Tampa's a pretty sizable dog tonight, which makes sense. Looks like they're uh, roughly plus $1.40 or so, and Panthers are minus $1.60. So... Yeah, based on that logic, um, even though Tampa came out there and won game one handily, uh, the books feel pretty good about the Panthers getting there, and I think that's the right side. Uh, if I'm going to make any financial investment into the game, uh, I think they learned a lot from game number one, and they're going to be ready game two. So is Tampa. Don't get me wrong. Tampa's going to be ready, um, but Florida is, it's not do or die. I mean, we're not going to you're not in a do-or-die scenario until after game number five. If someone's got three wins after four games, then fine. But, you know, the first four games, if you come out 2-2, we'll reassess for the last uh, last three games at that point. Uh, Avalanche, big, big favorites tonight, minus, uh, minus 230, which is probably the right number based on the way things happened. Um, Colorado absolutely owned almost every moment of that game against the Blues. They got better as the game went on. Uh, I think 13 to zero in shots in overtime, and just peppering uh, Bennington, you know, all throughout the game. And shout out to him for a, a wonderful performance and keeping the team in it. You know, in, in the Blues locker room, it's hey, they gave us everything they had, but in uh, in the Avalanche locker room, it's don't change anything. Do exactly what we did, and we'll get out of this game just fine. Teams that take a one to nothing lead hold a series advantage of 503 wins to 232 losses. So that's, that's uh, where we're at in uh, first round. Actually, they work for the Golden Knights in the first cup. game action. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, coming up next, uh, we'll talk about who ultimately made the decision to fire Pete DeBoer and who will make the decision on who the next coach will be. Chris wants to talk about that. Bill Foley has to sign off eventually. You're listening to Locked On Golden Knights. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your sports betting needs and sports information. Find all the latest odds, all the latest news, sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball scores, the National Hockey League. We've got UFC fights and boxing, and even next season's NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today, or you can use your mobile device and learn more about the trends and action. Bet online. The game starts. Welcome back to Lockdown Golden Knights. Thank you for making us your first choice, your first listen each and every day. For your second listen, you should check out the Locked On Now podcast. Nightly recaps of every NHL game with analysis from our local experts within the network. And it is free and available wherever you get your podcast. Tony Cardasco and Chris Golick from Las Vegas. And I posed those two questions right before we went to break. You want to talk about this. So who ultimately made the decision to fire Pete DeBoer? And who ultimately do you feel will bear the responsibility of hiring the new head coach behind the VK bench? So I, I'm just trying to put myself in, immerse myself in the situation, right? Let's go back to uh, locker cleanout day and those pressers. Uh, McCrimmon 
seemed very anti, anti, uh, anti, excuse me, anti's poker. I got poker on my mind apparently, but anti did not seem, yeah, exactly. There you go. So do you, I guess, but, um, sorry, but Pete DeBoer did not have a very high level of, did not get a vote of confidence from McCrimmon at that presser. Um, McCrimmon was, seemed to go out of his way to say he felt the roster was good enough to get there and we didn't get the job done and all those cliche quotes. Fast forward to McPhee's uh, podcast up in Canada and McPhee hit on the injuries so often. So I feel like McPhee was on Team Pete DeBoer. I feel like McCrimmon was not on on Team Pete DeBoer. Owner Bill Foley has vowed to be more involved in the decision-making when it comes to, you know, the roster. And I'm assuming that also transpires to the coaching staff. I don't think McCrimmon just sent, McPhee, or, uh, sent Foley an email and says, hey, we're going to go in a different direction. I don't think it was as simple as that. I think Foley had to be sold on the situation and ultimately agree on it. So is this a situation where McCrimmon and McPhee, they lock the door and whoever comes out alive gets to make the decision for the coach, you know, as far as the debate goes, or all three of them, you know, sitting in the boardroom somewhere at CNA and uh, they eventually just take a vote and it goes two to one. And that's what I'm really curious about. We know where McCrimmon stands on, on uh, Pete DeBoer. We know where he stands. Bill Foley says he's going to be more involved. McPhee seemed to offer support. So I really think that McPhee just kind of put his hands up and said, this is your team, you make the call. And then I think a discussion happens with Foley and Foley just agrees to sign off on it because that's what he's going to do. I don't think it's the right decision necessarily to be made to fire DeBoer, but that's how the decision happened. And, you know, McCrimmon bears the ultimate responsibility here and is now putting himself out there when it comes to what's going to happen with uh, the next coach. Do you feel that McCrimmon has just too much power within this organization? He's the general manager. That's his job. That's his job. Do I feel he deserves that much that much power? That's the, probably the better question to ask me. And based on how the last four seasons have gone, I think the answer is no. Um, but he has the power that is entrusted with being a general manager. And, you know, we talked about this as well, I think, a week and a half or so ago that, you know, uh, sorry, Foley wants to be more involved. So now all of a sudden, what does that mean? You know, if I'm a criminal, hey, I'm the general manager. This is my job. Let me do my damn job or or fire me. Nothing in between. And that that's what the general manager does. They make these tough decisions. They make the ultimate decision when it comes to the players that the coach has available to him. So he has the right amount of power for what his job is. Um, is that going to be compromised at all this year from interference from the owner's box? Is McPhee going to ask to be CC'd on a couple more emails or just kind of sit in a couple more meetings that he maybe didn't last year? Is Foley going to knock on the door a little more often and, uh, you know, hey, how are we doing? You know, what, what are we looking at right now? We lost the, we just lost three in a row here and, you know, a trade deadline is two months away. What's your plan? Like, is there going to be more? There, there's definitely more pressure. We know that, Tony. There is definitely going to be more pressure this year. Um, how is McCrimmon going to handle that pressure? 
Is McCrimmon going to be able to do the job that McCrimmon wants to do? Or is he going to do the job that keeps him employed? And I don't know if either of those ans- if, if either of those paths will lead VGK to a successful season six. And so Bill Foley, the same owner who said, well, came across my desk and I didn't agree with trading Evgeny Dodonov, okay? Will, will Bill Foley now go back on his word? Well, I didn't actually agree with the firing of Pete DeBoer. Uh, can he come back and say that? And again, like, it just seems to be they're not ganging up on McCrimmon, but everyone is pointing toward McCrimmon and all of these decisions. I Here's my prediction, okay? You made a bold statement. Kelly McCrimmon, come New Year's Day of 2023, will not be the general manager of the Vegas Golden Knights. They might have had enough of him by then. That's fair. I mean, that that is definitely fair if the team does not perform, because we know we're going to be a salary cap team again. We have no choice to be a salary cap team. And the way things have gone, we are going to be an above the salary cap team and uh, playing that salary cap roulette as uh, we have for the last four seasons. But, you know, McCrimmon is still riding his season one success. He was the mastermind of this day one roster. And that is what led to him becoming the general manager. That's what led to McPhee uh, creating a new position within the team so everyone can kind of be there in this uh, three-headed monstrous triangle uh, trying to make all these decisions for the team. But that's just what I don't get here. McCrimmon creates this roster. He's the mastermind of season number one. He's the mastermind of season number one of a team that went to the Stanley Cup final that... You could have got it 500 to 1 odds before the season started. And then he comes out and says that's not sustainable. I know we keep going back to that. Like, you're the mastermind. You're coming back and saying your own plan didn't work. But the plan that didn't work got us three wins from a Stanley Cup. So then we start being more creative with free agents and bring a lot of high-priced talent in as such, which, you know, not necessarily bad roster moves by any means, but... Season one worked. Season one worked. And on top of season one working, we still had salary cap space. We had draft picks. We didn't just have a now, we had a future. And now fast forward to the start of season six, there's no future. It's now. Brisson, that's that, you know, and, and Logan Thompson and maybe some, you know, other throw-ins from Henderson. But there's not a big talent pipeline right now that is up and coming that's going to be able to help us in a year or two. Maybe three or four years down the road, some other players, fine. But we have become a team that had a bright future that competed now to a team that is only about now. We are only about season number six. Last year, we were only about season number five. And at some point, that's going to crumble. It's going to come crumbling down. It's going to blow up like uh, the, the volcanoes at the Mirage, which have, okay, here's an over-under. Aren't they? Aren't we losing the, the volcanoes pretty soon? Like sometime in this the hard rock guitar, the hard hard rock uh, guitar is going to take its place there. Right. So what's going to last longer, Kelly McCrimmon or the Mirage volcanoes? Let's call it Ben and GM. Get that to get that get them to <laughs> put that down in the. I think the Mirage the volcano will outlast them. And even if they're winning, I say they're just going to be sick and tired of McCrimmon and everything else that he brings to the table. I know the media cures everything. 
the media is just sick of him. They got no answers out of McCrimmon the other day. And we can go into that. That could be an entire episode. Um, Oh, and you know what? A nice PR photo of Jack Eichel cutting the birthday cake Ah. for Mark Stone. We're gonna. He's, is that he's not a team player. He's he's not a team player. <laughs> no, he's there could a be player. a. No, they're gonna have a lot of these photo ops here. Let's face it. You know, Eichel is going to walk William Carlson down the aisle next. That's what's gonna happen. I think that's something we'll see in the future. But best that of luck Riley to Smith Mark. Is gone then. <laughs> <laughs> best best of luck to Mark Stone. He's having his back surgery today officially. Yep. That's what the team released yesterday. And hopefully has a speedy recovery. And I yes, hope I have a speedy recovery for my flight to Chicago. And I hope that my Wi-Fi works for us tomorrow morning from my hotel room there. Okay. You need some you need some Gino's East, some Lumonatis, and here's here's where you gotta go. Do you know where you're staying in Chicago? <laughs> you got me. Okay, as soon enough. as I get off the plane, I'll figure it out. But no, okay. we have a hotel. There's a if you're, uh, if you're in downtown Chicago, you gotta find Billy Goats. But it's the Billy Goats been there. on. You have it's the, the cheeseburger one on Lower, Pepsi, cheeseburger Pepsi yeah, place, the right? One, but you've been the one in Lower Michigan, like the original one. The one, yes, the original one where you go underneath, like uh, yes, train okay, tracks go up top, and you go underneath. Come on, man, I've been around the world. Just making time. sure, just making sure that's my old stopping grounds. Cheeseburger, it's fun. cheeseburger, cheeseburger. No, that's right. No fries, cheeps. <laughs> for my man Chris Golick, I'm gonna head to his stopping grounds for tomorrow's show. And for this weekend, we thank you all for making Locked On Golden Knights your first listen each and every day, free and available on every uh, platform. And now make sure that you check out Locked On NHL from all of this second round action to each Stanley Cup kiss. Locked On NHL covers the playoffs like no other. Hear the latest news and opinions from local experts every Monday through Friday, free and available as well wherever you get your podcast. I'm going to get my pizza in, in Chicago And, Chris, we'll catch up again tomorrow. We'll see if there's anything new on the head coaching front. And I'm going to try to reach out to some hockey guys I know in Chicago to see if they know anything because they usually are way ahead of of Vegas. So we'll do that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, uh, everyone, for tuning in. I'm Tony Cardasco, former man Chris Golick. We'll see you once again tomorrow right here on Locked On Golden Knights.